Well, good morning. I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 is where I'd like you to be. If you're visiting with us, we are uh, taking a, a break from our study of the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why is uh, our intention for this ministry year is to focus on engaging in all areas of life distinctively as a Christian. And each month we have a different focus. Where we'll be cycling through at least three different areas every month. So last month we focused on engaging the community. This month the focus is going to be on engaging the world. And what I want to do at the beginning of each month is just set the focus from the scriptures of what we're going to be looking at and, and focusing on. And next week, Lord willing, we'll pick back up in our study of Luke. But for this week, we are going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21, and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 27. And I would like to just read the passage here and then pray. Follow along as I read. We're in the middle of a description of John describing the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. And in the middle of this, he begins here in 22, he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we now come to you seeking to really understand and see this picture of heaven. Not just heaven, but the new creation, the united heaven and earth. God, I pray that that vision would be painted into our brains so that it would impact the way we live in this moment. God, give us a vision of how that you are mighty to save, that you really do move the mountains, and that you really, really, really do save. God, show us why today and what your intention is as we study this word together. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this past week I was in Texas. I was down there for a couple reasons. One reason, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, is uh, I was down with to every tribe, mission agency, just talking about this potential Canada partnership that we have, working among the First Nations people in Northwest Ontario. And there's some details that had to get worked out between our church and that organization. And, uh, and I had a chance to work some of those out, and I'm Excited to share some of that with you as, uh, as this month presses on. I also had the opportunity to teach in their training school where Ron and Jen Karras are and uh, had a chance to be there in the school and spend the week teaching every day for the week, uh, pretty much eight hours a day, just kind of doing teaching and then at night Q&A sessions and, and just a wonderful week with these, with these students. And one particular day I was standing up, I had given the students an assignment to to work on in the classroom, and I was just looking over these 30 students, and I began to think, wow, here are 30 people between the ages, the youngest person in the room is 18, and the oldest person in the room is 36, and, uh, 
and you got married people in there, people with young kids, you've got singles, and you got this room full of people, and, and it had hit me that all of these people are willing to give up everything that our country has to offer to go to the furthest, remotest locations and risk their lives to make the name of Christ known. And I was looking at these people, and I w- it just had hit me how incredible that is. And I was asking myself, I wonder what would happen in their hearts. Like, what, what moved them to say, I'm, I'm going to renounce the opportunity to, to make it big here and go there? And then I was just praying for them as they were sitting there working on an assignment. They were working, and I just started saying, God, you know, show them what you're doing. Show them how this moment and maybe whatever is going to play out in their life in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the, the heartaches, the trials, the sicknesses, maybe losing a child. Who knows what will happen in the course of this year? Some of the places some of these people want to go be very dangerous, and there's many threats and many dangers. But yet, God, show them what you're doing. And as I was standing there, and thinking about that and just that thoughts filling my mind, I started realizing, you know, we need to know, even as a church, we need to know, God, why are you doing this? Why do you send people to the nations? Why, why, what is your end game in this big thing we call missionary work? What are you ultimately going to do, God? And so I started thinking about that and praying about that, and it's really what's driven what I want to share here today. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to jump into Revelation and, and actually show you how God revealed what the end of everything's going to be like. Let's take us to the conclusion. Let's go to the end, see what God's doing, what this whole new creation is going to be like, and then let's step ourselves backwards to today and say, now I understand missions, what God's really doing. And my heart here today is not necessarily to put you on a guilt trip if you live in Sycamore or DeKalb or wherever for the rest of your life. That's not my heart. This is not going to be a missions altar call, okay? Everybody come forward, pick your country, let's go. That's not where we're going with this. What I want you to see is where God's going with his mission. I want you to get a vision, or I want to show you God's vision for the world. And what's going to happen? And then let's just let that impact the way that we pray for missionaries, impact the way we process this thing called missions, and and really understand what this is about. And what I hope happens is that you just get in awe of what God's doing. And that just begins to impact your life. And then at the end, as we're doing each month, I'm going to give you a challenge. And the challenge will not involve an airplane. Don't worry. Okay? But there will be a challenge. So what we need to do is we need to jump to the end. And I want to jump in the middle of this description of heaven. And, and John describing, well, it's not even, I, you got, I'm going to keep calling it heaven, but when, when I say heaven, if I mistakenly say that, you in your brain go, new heaven and new earth or new creation. Because we're not just talking about heaven. We're talking about this end when God unites heaven and earth, he makes them one, and there's this whole new creation And all these things are going to take place in this creation. What I want to do is jump in the middle of that 
Let's play around in a few verses for a while, enjoy it, splash around, uh, have a good time there, and then come back to today and say, okay, now I get it. I get what this missionary thing's about, and I see what you're doing, God. So what we're going to do is we'll jump in this, we'll look at these verses. You can see in your bulletin, basically just got um, three things I want to show you in this text. What is life like in the new creation? And when we show you these three things, what life is like in the new creation, we'll then dial it back to today and I think hopefully connect the dots. Okay, so what's life like in the new creation? Well, life in the new creation will be lived in the presence of God, in the glory of God, and in the purity of God. And those are big concepts, but they're incredible when we unpack them. So let's do this. Because what I want you to get from today is I want you to understand what the term world missions ultimately means. Okay, what it ultimately means. What I mean by that is not when I say world missions, you might think somebody going to Papua New Guinea or something like that. That, that is in one sense what it means. But what does it ultimately mean? What's the ultimate end of what's going on in Papua New Guinea or wherever you pick? And so I want to show that. I want you to see that today. So let's jump into the future here. We have the Apostle John. He's given this vision of the new heaven and new earth, right? The, the heaven has come. It's united with the earth. It's incredible. He's describing it. And, and he's just given this really beautiful description of the city and all that's involved and how big it is and what it looks like. And then in verse 22, he starts a, a very unique way to describe the city. And we'll see it here. And, and the first thing he wants us to see is that in this city, life will be lived in the presence of God. Look at verse 22. He says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So what John does here in verse 22 is he starts telling you the things that are not in this city that gets his attention. He, of course, is a Jew. He's aware of the temple. He's aware of the role of the temple. It's a huge part of life and existence. He's aware that even in every culture, in every city, there's pagan temples. Temples are just a part of life, especially in, in his day. But as a Jew, the temple is a huge part of his life. And what was the temple for the Jew? The temple for the Jew was this. God was going to dwell among his people. But he's incredibly holy. He's incredibly righteous. If he displayed his presence everyone would, in, in full, everyone would just die. Do you remember Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 6, he's brought up to heaven. He sees just basically this holy smoke and the train of this temple. He doesn't actually see God, but he gets in the presence of God. And what does he say? He says, woe is me. Like, basically, that's a, if you say woe, that's bad. That's like, kill me. So he says, kill me. I, I'm in the presence of holiness. And what does God have to do? He's got to send an angel over from the altar and put something on his tongue to forgive him so that he could stand in his presence and so that's how holy god is right remember moses show me your glory god says no way i show you my glory you're gonna die you can't i can't show you my glory right but so god though wants to dwell among his people so he has this temple built and in the temple he he places his glory but it's in this protective room and, and priests will go in and they'll make sacrifices and, and, and animals are killed because we're sinners and we have to appease this holy wrath because we offend God. And So the temple was the place where God's presence was placed, protected, 
or so that man could be protected from it, but also so that man could approach and get close and have an appeasement, offer a sacrifice. And that's how you, you connected to God, through, this, through these mediators. You could never stand in his presence. John says, man, in, in that new creation, when it comes together, there's no temple. There's nothing. But only the full presence of the Almighty God. That whole glory that Moses could not see, that full glory that Isaiah couldn't see, he says, it's just shining out. That's why he says, the Lord, the Almighty, right? The powerful one. And then notice how Jesus is described. What's the word? What's the description? He's the what? The Lamb. John's going to call him the Lamb through this thing because of what we just celebrated here this morning around the table. There's no way we could stand in his presence without there being a sacrifice, without our sins being atoned for. And so he says the, the Lamb of God that was slain is there, which is like the comfort as you stand in the presence of God. Christ died. And there is all of his glory just shining forth. So what's he saying? We get to that new creation. You're going to be in the presence of God with nothing between you and him except the Lamb, which is exactly what you want. It's exactly what you want. And it's going to be a beautiful moment. Okay, so there's our first picture. Life is lived in the presence of God. Now this picture is going to get built on. Okay, we're going to, we're going to put a layer on top of this picture. And this is important because this, 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 this building is, is beautiful. So look at what happens now. So now we see life lived in the presence of God moves us to life lived in the glory of God. See how it builds, verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Again, the Lamb is there. Very important. So what's happening now? See, now in the city, the most amazing thing is that there's no sun or moon. So we go from no temple to now no sun and moon. Now, why no sun and moon? What's he getting at, right? You could think about the sun or the moon, and you could think about all that the sun and moon does. It marks our days and our calendar, and it helps crops grow, and the moon, you know, controls the tides, and, and that's how we catch fish. There's all kind of functional things that the sun and the moon do. But yet, I'm not certain that he's saying that all of a sudden you're just going to walk into this world that won't have seasons or, or movement or anything, like that just time stops. Because if you look at Revelation 22, too, you, you see the tree of life is producing fruit in different seasons. So there seems to be something going on there. So the question is, why? what's the imagery of sun and moon? Well, I think it's connected to this idea of glory. What's he getting at? Well, just stop and think about something. You ever stood at a beach and watched a sunset? You ever seen that? Some, most of you have, right? You've seen a sunset. Or even out here, you know, it's... It can be flat out here, right? You can see a sunset if you want out here. Right? I mean, it's not that hard. You ever see it? It's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Or have you ever just looked up at the night sky and been in one of those moments where it's just clear and you see 
the stars and the moon and that glory. It's, just, it's beautiful. Down in South Texas, there wasn't a lot of light where I was staying. I was staying out this place, and uh, it's pretty isolated um, with lots of snakes, and I was a little creeped out, and bats. That was creepy, too. Um, I'd walk to my room, and the bats would fly by, and I don't know why, but that just creeped me out, you know? Not like it's going to stop and do anything, but just, I don't know. Bats just emotionally have a negative thought in my mind. Anyways, that's a rabbit trail. But I'm standing outside at one point. I had some courage to go out among the bats, and I stepped out from the room, and I was nervous. And, but I looked up because the night sky was incredible. I mean, just stars. I could see Mars. And, 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 and I, I kind of picked up my phone, and I have this little star thing on my phone. So I was, like, figuring out where everything was, you know, just doing this whole thing. And it's... You guys, don't, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Some of you have done this before, right? Okay, so thank you, John. Okay, so I'm looking at all this, and then this text hits me. I'm in awe of all that beauty. And John says, you know what? We're not going to need that in heaven. Because the glory radiance of God is going to shine forth. And, and that this little fuzzy picture we get of the glory of God in creation is going to be translated into His radiance. And we won't need a sunset. And we won't need stars. And we won't need the Christmas of fall. Or we won't, we won't need any of that. He said, we'll have God. And you'll see all the things that this earth just becomes a foretaste of. You know, just the, the sunset's a picture of that glory, but it's not the fullness of it. And the stars are a picture of it. You'll go out today, and you'll see the trees changing, and maybe you take a, a ride out the road, and you'll see somewhere and out when the fall colors are coming down, and you get that smell and all that. That's just a foretaste. And John is saying, you have no idea. You're not going to need that anymore. You're not going to need fall. You're not going to need a sunrise. You're going to have God. That's what I believe he's saying. And so here's what he says. Notice the picture now. The city has no need, notice that, it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And how is that light going to be shined through? Through the Lamb. Good news, right? He's the one who died for us. And as a result, he's going to shine forth his glory. The word glory, whenever you think of the glory of God, it seems pretty nebulous, doesn't it? Just let me give you a, a, just a simple definition of the glory of God. The glory of God is the sum total of all that God is. So if you were to sit down on a piece of paper and list out all of his attributes, just add them all up, and then you put it all together and put it on an equal sign, you know, holiness plus wrath plus love plus mercy plus grace, plus bu- 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 all the way down the line, you'd say equals glory. So whenever you see the glory of God shining forth, what you're seeing is the sum total of all that God is is going to radiate out. It's going to fill everything. Who needs sun and moon after that? We don't need that. we got God. So John's just trying to figure out a way to tell you this is beyond compare, what's going to happen there, what you're going to see. But then, notice, he builds on it now in verse 24. Notice what happens. He says, by its light, he's now talking about the glory that's going to shine through the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, 
and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Another thing not present. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Now what's he getting at? He's saying, okay, this glory is going to be shining. God's going to be displaying the full sum total of who he is. And then something's going to happen. And the only way that I can explain this to you is to have you think of the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Right? The opening ceremony of the Olympics. It's incredible to think about this. Okay, what, what goes on in the opening ceremony of the Olympics? I mean, well, first of all, don't think of like Elton John or some pop star, okay, or whatever that's playing at the opening ceremony of the Olympics. You know, like, don't go there. Think about the, what do they call this when all the athletes come in? The parade of nations, right? And that gets high, high TV ratings. People who hate sports watch the opening ceremony of the Olympics, don't they? They love seeing these athletes come in and, you know, Argentina, and they're all walking in, yeah, right, and they're just going, Aruba, yeah, they're just going alphabetically down from all the nations, and everyone can't wait to cheer until their country comes up, and uh, it's an incredible moment, and then what happens after every nation comes in, Zimbabwe's last, right, and they come in, and they line up where? In the middle of the field, all together. It's a parade of nations. Now notice what he says. This glory is shining of God, and then the nations start to parade in front of him. Now notice that he says the nations. He doesn't just say saved people or children or whatever. He says the nations. It's the word actually ethnos. I'm just telling you that word because you would be familiar with the sound of that, right? Ethnic. People groups. And suddenly what's coming are Filipinos and Czech people and Nepali people and German people and French people. And they're all walking in. The parade of nations has begun. And they all start walking in. It says, and their kings are with them. Rulers are walking along with them. And they're all coming forth, and his glory is shining forth on these people. Isn't this an incredible picture? Like You never really thought, of, you know, I knew this guy came up to me one time of an older, gruff guy. And he says, I don't want to go to heaven. And I said, why? He said, you know, my pastor is really boring. And the thought of sitting in a church service forever, I can't do that. I just can't do that. And I'm like, is that how you picture it? He's like, yeah, I'm picturing this kind of ghost-like person sitting in a church service and just guys coming up talking about Jesus for hours, that just seems horrible to me. And I'm like, you know, you have no clue what heaven's like. You have been informed by the movies and by Hollywood. You know, it's like, that is not what heaven's like. It's incredible what's going to happen. Heaven and earth unite. It's not a long church service. It's a planet without sin. And the glory of God is going to radiate and people from Every tribe and nation are going to come up. And notice, the doors are not locked. There's no night. I think that's just an imagery of this, that there's going to be no conflict. There's going to be no sin. There's going to be no reason to lock up the gates of this holy city in the end because there's nothing's ever going to happen to it. 
And there's just going to be this endless parade of people coming in. And what are they bringing in? They're bringing in the glory of the nations. And so the glory of God is showing. And then the nations come in. And what do they do? They bring their glory to the God. Now we have to ask, what is the glory of the nations that he's talking about? You've got to think about it this way. In order to understand the glory of the nations, you have to stop and ask, or back up, I should say, and say, let's look at creation here. Let's just look at our world for a moment and the way God created our world, and it will help you understand what this moment is. God created our world in a very unique way. He created our world in a way in which it can be understood, subdued, quantified, and used. So Isaac Newton sits around and suddenly realizes, hey, things are falling to the ground. All right, in the 1600s, right? Is that right for Isaac Newton? I'm kind of pulling this date off the top of my head. Some kid got to know this in here. 1600s, does that sound right? Don't write that down because I don't want you to get a bad grade in a test. Somewhere a long time ago, Isaac Newton sitting there and, and he realized things are falling to the ground. What's going on here? There's a force that's pulling things down. Now the force that's pulling these things down must have an impact on the world. So he starts thinking through gravity and he comes up with the laws of gravity, which leads us to the laws of thermodynamics which leads us a few years later to a guy by the name of Bernoulli who realizes these laws of thermodynamics create things called high pressures and low pressures. And Bernoulli says, wow, hey, this is pretty cool. High pressures, low things can lift up in the great thing. And then that leads it to these guys called the Wright brothers who say, wait a minute, if Bernoulli's right, we could create a thing called an airplane. And the next thing you know, I'm able to fly to Texas. Our world can be subdued. God said, I want you to subdue it. I want you to do something with it. Just a little side note, I was actually reflecting on this part of the sermon, this is a true story, on the airplane on the way back yesterday. And I'm thinking about this whole thing, about all these ways the earth was subdued. And the guy sitting next to me looks at my watch and says something about my watch. And then, and I could tell he just wanted to talk. And so he just started talking. And it turns out that he's this engineer. And, and he created a program in 1972 that he could figure out by your phone number. I, you know, I can't even explain this, but the bottom line is he took these phone numbers and he figured out a way that he could connect everybody in the United States through just putting all the phone numbers in this computer data. And so he goes on for like an hour and explains this thing to me. And he says, so put it this way. You and I just met, but if you give me your phone number, I said, I'm not going to do that. He said, but if you give me your phone number, I could put it in my program, and I could figure out that you and I would know at least four people who are exactly, we, we, we connect with at least four people. And I, and I said, okay. And then he says, well, let me prove it to you. Just tell me what town you live in or what town you grew up in. We found somebody that we both knew. This guy's from Houston, and we found a guy in Oak Brook that we both knew. I don't know how he did this. And, and other than I'm thinking... This is exactly how God made this world, though, to be understood, to be used, to be quantified. And when we do this kind of stuff, even stuff as crazy as what this guy did, I started thinking, you know, is he like a shark? Is he like trying to steal something? You know, like, am I going to give him my bank? Here, here's my social security number. What else could you do with that? Right? No, I'm kidding. You know? But I didn't. I gave him Heathers, you know, that way. I'm not in trouble. No. But, you know, think about this. I was thinking... All this stuff that this guy, he's a computer programmer, he's an engineer, he's been working with computers, and, and I said to him, I said, you know, isn't our world amazing? 
that you have a mind that you can quantify it and understand it and see the physics behind it all. And I say, that's exactly the way God made this world. That's exactly the way God made it. Now, when we make that world and we use that world and we do stuff, God calls that the glory of the earth. It's what the earth can produce. When the earth produces something, that's the glory. And when the nations take these things and they subdue it and they do stuff with it, that's the nation's glory. So in Isaiah 60, you can look at, not now, but Isaiah 60 through Isaiah 62, you can read this and it describes scenes from the new heaven and new earth and it says that, that people will be, will be working in heaven and they'll build houses and they'll actually be happy with them. It's actually what it says. You're going to build your house and say, this is great, rather than what happens to us. You build your house and you go, I don't like it. Right? He says, you're going to do this stuff and you're actually going to enjoy it. Because God's going to create the world to work. And then they're going to take the works of their hands and they're going to present it to God. Okay, now there's a long journey, but here's the point. Let's, 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 let's bring this to here. When these nations come, they're coming with the fruit of the work that God has given them. I picture it this way. A German person's going to walk into heaven carrying a bratwurst. This is silly. Because I, I love German bratwurst, right? And to me, that's glory. Right? And so he's going to bring it, and God's going to say, I created a world where bratwurst could be made and enjoyed. So here's the picture. Each country's bringing their music. Each country's bringing their culture. But it's not going to be sinful. Because God wants the new heaven and earth to be populated with work and with glory and with subduing only perfect as Isaiah says, you'll build the house and you'll love it. You'll love it. And so the picture here of heaven is that these guys are coming in, guys, gals, people, kings. They're presenting the fruit of their hands to the glory of the king. And they're saying, God, you created this stuff and we're presenting it back to you as an offering. So what's happening? When a missionary goes to another country, and shares the gospel. It isn't just with an individual. You go to Papua New Guinea and you share the gospel. Guess what? Another person from PNG is added to the parade of nations. Another one's added. And when that parade of nations happens, he's going to bring, he or she is going to bring with them all the things that God's given them to do and subdue and all the gifts and talents they have. And they're going to they're gonna be walking in and they'll say, God, here's our music. God, here's our artistry. God, here's our, here's, here it all is. And it's all going to be under the display of the glory of God. It's incredible when you think about it that way. That's what's going on in heaven. And so the glory and the honor of the nations are when the people come and they bring the fruit of their work. Just read through that in Isaiah 60 through 62. And so that's life lived there, in the glory of God. So, we, so, so life is in his presence. Life is in his glory. Let's just quickly look at life in the purity of God, and then I'll wrap this up and we'll cycle it back to today. Look at life lived in the purity of God. Verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I suppose to a Jew hearing this, 
My people's coming from all the nations. They're, all they're thinking about is depravity. And if you think about it, this, used to, this can be an issue even for us because sometimes we can think about somebody in another country and they live in a different culture and we could treat them as like either you know, dumber than us or unsophisticated or you know, their music is demon music and all of these kind of things. We, could, we can use these derogatory things and, and we can think, you know, that's not us, that's them. We could, it's easy to go there. And what he's saying is, well, first of all, don't go there. But second, anyone who comes in, whatever they present, they're going to be purified. Why? They're written in the Lamb's book. The Lamb has a book. The people that he has saved, he's written their names down, and he says they're cleansed, they're justified, they're cleansed, they're justified. They're allowed to be here. Their sin has been covered. They're made new. What did Ephesians 5 tell us? That Jesus is going to present to himself a church without spot or wrinkle. Jude tells us you're going to stand in the presence of God blameless and with great joy. Not because of what you've done, but because of what the Lamb has done. And so nothing bad's going to happen. All of the glory of the nations will come in, and it will be beautiful. There will be no sinners in that place. What's even amazing to me to think about is not just that there'll be no sinners, but I'm even just trying to picture my life without sin. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine never being insecure again? Could you imagine just being happy, joyful? Could you imagine if you're depressed, all the depression leaving, or if you're naive, suddenly you become wise, right? If you're cynical, that's gone, and now you walk with faith and trust and hope. None of that. No more lust, no more greed, no more lying. Gone. Yeah, you're going to be in that place. It's going to be perfect. Why? Because of the Lamb. His book. He's putting the names in it. It's amazing. And he says that, that's the guarantee that this presence, you'll be in perfect purity. And so life will be lived before the purity of God because of the Lamb. So here's the amazing thing. You stand in the presence of God because the Lamb has covered your sin. You stand in the glory of God because the Lamb allows you to partake of it. You're going to stand in the purity of God because the Lamb has cleansed you. He's put your name in his book. He's covered you. You're justified. And that's heaven. But what else is going on in heaven? People from every tribe and tongue are coming in. And they're presenting their life, their glory, all that God has given them. God's not going to take it away. The world will not be what the KKK wanted to be, an homogenized white world with only one race, the super race, winning. We are not going to be some weird little ghost, you know, thing, angel thing, flying around in some cloud thing. You will be who God made you, only without sin. And every time a missionary goes out to a place, another member is added to the parade of nations. And another piece of glory is added to it, so this day will become a day of tears and worship and joy as the glory of creation is redeemed and restored and the glory of, of God is put on display and, and everybody from every tribe and tongue will gather together in worship of God the Father and the Lamb. So, that's the future. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's an amazing future. Now let's dial that back. What does that mean today for us? 
me give you a couple thoughts just by way of conclusion. First of all, missions is not just seeing individuals get saved. Missions is about God adding to the parade of nations. Adding to the Babylonians that are going to be in there. and Adding to the Persians that are going to be in there. Adding to the Turks that are going to be in there. Adding to the Jews that are going to be in there. And the Germans and the French. And he's adding them all. He's bringing them in. He's created them. He created them with the color of the skin that they have and with the abilities that they have and their ability to write songs that the way they write them and do artistry the way they do it and knit rugs the way they knit rugs and all that. He's given them all that. And he said, I want to bring all that in, all the depth of my creation. I want to bring it together under my glory. God isn't going to do away with the diversity. He's going to bring it in under perfection. That's what missions is about. It's about joining in God's process of uniting his creation into Jesus so that his creation would be displayed in full without sin. What God is going to do away with on this earth is sin. Not the glory of his creation. It's going to be presented. It's a beautiful picture. So, this is why the Great Commission was to do what? Go into all, give me the word, nations. Jesus says to the, to the twelve, you're my disciples everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, the world. When, 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 when God makes those statements, you got to remember, God is not just thinking about you just sharing the gospel with one individual. God is saying, you know what, here's where this, here, here's where this is headed. To this day of this parade of nations. So followers, go be part of this. Start building the parade group. Start getting them lined up. That's your job. Go to the nations because this is going to be part of the glory, which is really incredible to think about. Part of our joy in worship will be seeing even whole people groups that were wiped out years ago. And people from those people groups there. We're going to say, tell us about your people group. And they're going to tell us. Because the nations will come with their glory going to be incredible. So missions is about joining in that work. And the Great Commission is always about participating in that work so the parade of nations will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So it'll just be awesome. That, that's, that's what missions is about. A lot of people think that, uh, that, that Christian missionaries destroy cultures. They do. They think, oh, these missionaries come in and they destroy cultures. I want to tell you, Christian missionary work will unleash a culture. Because God created people with gifts and abilities and talents. And what Christian missionaries do is say, you know what? All those gifts that God gave you, you're using for your own flesh to destroy others, man. But if you are in Christ, you will use it for God's glory and to build others up. This culture could be redeemed for the way that it was created. And then one day join a massive parade route in front of the full glory of God. That's what missionary work is. So, here's our challenge. i got four challenges for you. None of them involve you flying anywhere. Here are the four challenges. These are, these are, these are, these are fun ones. 
These are, you could do all of these things, do one of them, I don't care, just four things for you to think about as we think about engaging the world as missionaries, as distinctively Christian missionaries. First of all, I'm going to ask you to do this. Go on our website and adopt, as a family, whether you're single, married, doesn't matter, adopt one of our missionaries. We've got lists of everybody that we support, the countries they're in. Go on the website, pick one, and say, that is the missionary either me or my family are going to get to know. We're going to get to know them. We're going to write them letters. We're going to engage them. We're going to find out everything about them, find out about their country. We're going to find out what they do. And we are going to join in their work because we can. We have so much easy technology. You can Skype anywhere in the world. I mean, it's amazing what you can do. And so, get to know someone. That's one of your first challenge. None of our missionaries will be upset if suddenly this afternoon they got 15 emails from somebody saying, man, I just, I just want to support you. I want to pray for you. You know, could you imagine them going, oh, are you kidding me? I don't want 15 people praying for me. Right? <laughs> Who would say that, right? You know, they're not going to say that. They're going to love it. And then start to brainstorm as a family. How can we support them? How can we be involved in what they're doing? How can we make sure that we're fanning the flame as they are participating in this great work of adding to the parade of nations. So look on the website. That's the first. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do, actually the second one I'd like everybody to do. More details of this will come out later. But I'd like you to, for, to pray for our spring trip into Canada. We have an opportunity to go to a remote reserve this spring, and we can send Ron and Jen there. And there's a lot of details that I can't get into now that will unfold over the next few weeks. But there's a lot involved in that missionary effort. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just to start praying for that. Pray for the believers in Cat Lake. Uh, pray for those that Ron and Jen will be meeting. And, uh, and the, the details. And over time, I'll unfold those to you. But uh, a great opportunity. God's opened a huge door. So pray for that. You can look up Cat Lake on the Internet if you want and find out where it is. And it's a wonderful, wonderful place in northwest Ontario. Third, third challenge for you is I would like for you to go, you can either order this book, which is the antiquated thing, or you can go online, you know, which is the hip thing. And uh, either way, I, I suggested the book, and as people said, you know, you can do this online. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, get, I keep forgetting about the Internet. Um, but there's this thing called Operation World. Some of you might have the book. It describes every country and what's going on. Describes the nations and how to pray for them. Get, get the book. Now, you can also do this. You can go online with Operation World, and you can sign up, and they'll send you an email blast every day of a nation to pray for and how to pray for it. So all you got to do is just sign up. You say, I want the email blast. And every day in your inbox will be another country, and you start praying. We've got to pray. When we think about missionary work, don't just think about one person going to one tribal setting Think about God adding to the parade of nations, and we want to start having a global vision. So that's your third one. Get involved with praying for the nations. Fourthly, a week from Wednesday, we're going to have another Engage class. We're going to have two of them in October. The first one is going to be about Canada, and I'm going to give you details. It'll be a week from Wednesday. Come. That's the place I want to give you the details about what's happening there. Second one will be the next Wednesday after that, and it will be dealing with how to, especially those of you with children, how
How do you engage your whole family to have a missionary mindset, a, a global view to praying for the nations? So that will be then three weeks from Wednesday. So come to that. Everybody come. So there's your challenge. The focal point is this. God is adding to the parade of nations so that heaven will be this glorious place where all of the diversity that he placed within this world will be able to be used. Skills, gifts, talents, all of it will be used for him. And as Isaiah said, you'll enjoy it. And so our prayer for the world isn't God just save people, it's God add to that. Bring them out of every tribe and tongue so that your glory be made known and that you would see redemption spread throughout the planet. Would you join me in prayer for that? Father, I thank you for this glimpse of heaven. It's an amazing glimpse to see your hand at work in creation. It not only created this world to be used, and even though sin entered it and we use it for our own sinful reasons, it will be redeemed and we'll be able to to work the land and, and enjoy it in a day of perfection. Thank you that we'll be able to stand in your presence. Thank you that, that there'll be no tears of sorrow, only tears of joy. Thank you for the day. I can't wait for the parade of nations to see millions and millions of people from across this globe over the span of thousands of years walking in reflecting the uniqueness of the way you created them and presenting their gifts and their talent and their treasures and their work to you under the banner of your glorious glory. God, let that stuff sink in our minds that we wouldn't just see missionary work as people who give up the American dream, but instead see missionary work as participating in the glory of the nations to be presented under the glory of you. Fill our hearts with that. Let our young people see that. And we see a generation rise up who want to take that baton and make your name known around the world. Help us, God, to take this challenge seriously this month and to engage this world with the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.